Before I get into this word for to today, um, that the Lord's put on my heart, um, I'm going to conclude uh, the preaching today um, with a prophetic experience that I had last weekend. And this is, I would have to say, one of the most profound experiences um, that I've had because I had um, a, six series, a series of, a successive series of prophetic dreams that I didn't truly understand uh, the meaning of until the end of the third dream. So three successive nights, the Lord gave me a dream. I'm going to share that with you. Um, and let me start off by, well, I'm going to pray first. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. I thank you, Father God, for the eternal nature of your word and its capacity to come and change and transform us and do things in our hearts that could be done no other way. I thank you, Father, for the power of your word. And that, Father God, when it comes, it changes us, it transforms us, it equips us, Lord. It uh, challenges us, it inspires us, and it leads us forward. Thank you, Father, for all these aspects of your word. I pray, Lord, that as I share out of your word today, Lord, that you would come and do what only you can do in each and every heart that's listening today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me say firstly, I would like to, um, I'll, just in case I forget to mention this at the end because I'll start um, prophesying at the end, I believe, um, that I'm asking everybody associated with our church to come into a three-day uh, series of prayer and fasting starting tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, I believe we need to be fasting and praying for what God is going to release us into um, and prayer and fasting about our current situation, particularly in Sydney where um, there are lockdowns and um, the economic hardship is uh, so great. We have people working in various areas of homeless ministry. Um, we have somebody working in Parramatta Mission um, and they are seeing at the front lines the devastation of uh, the lockdowns that have been imposed across Sydney and uh, I believe as a church we have a responsibility to fast and pray into these things. But I also believe that God is taking us out into a new season and we need to start preparing for the new season that God has for us. So uh, my message is around being prepared today. And, um, you know, I... Um, I'm very disturbed by some of the things that um, I hear even from... Um, pastors and ministry leaders um, in regards to uh, COVID-19. Um, in particular, I know of one uh, Queensland-based pastor who is saying that unequivocally um, being vaccinated is the mark of the beast and we know that if, <laughs> uh, if you have the mark of the beast, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, And I see that there is a, uh, a focus generally within the church about the end times and where we might be in that timeline and what our perspective should be based on where we are in that timeline. So I'm going to go into Matthew chapter 24 
And I just want to bring out some things, and there's a couple of things that God's really put on my heart to share with you about this. So Matthew 24, starting at verse 3, says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And so whenever I read one of these passages, I mean, I'm not going uh, as in-depth into this passage of Scripture as it deserves. I just want to bring out a couple of very salient points for us this morning. And some of the phrases in here just leapt off the page at me, and that's one of them. See that you are not troubled. And when I read the Word of God, I like to kind of dig into commentaries and see what other people have had to say. I like to read the Bible study notes. I like to see the context of, of everything that I'm reading about. When it says that, when it says, see that you are not troubled, I found that in a very old uh, commentary on the Bible written by a, a pastor named Matthew Henry, he says this, It is against the mind of Christ that his people should have troubled hearts even in troubled times. Let me share that with you again. It is against the mind of Christ that his people should have troubled hearts even in troubled times. Now, we belong to the King of Kings. We are sons. We have kingdom authority. We're not supposed to be wandering around with troubled hearts, confused, dismayed, in fear. Jesus went on to say, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. And that word sorrows jumped out at me. And that word sorrows actually is a reference to the pain of childbirth, the travailing pain of childbirth, birth pains that signify a terrible upheaval marking the end of the age. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Are you encouraged yet, church? <laughs> and they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You know, just that verse there tells me that for us, in our situation at the moment, we are not quite there yet. Then it says that many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. And when I looked at the Greek for offended, I found the word skandalizo, which I uh, would assume um, is where we get the English word scandalized. But it actually is from a root word that refers to a bent sapling used to spring a trap. You ever seen one of those old-fashioned traps where they get a box and they'll put it out in the forest and they'll, they'll get a flexible piece of wood and it just bends across so that the top of the box is leaning on it. There's a little bit of bait in there. And when the animal goes in to get the food, he kind of hits against that sapling. And this, because the sapling is kind of under tension, as soon as something touches it, the, the, the sapling, you know, 
is pushed aside, the box closes, and there the person, oh, sorry, the animal, <laughs> uh, but by extension, the person is trapped in a box and they got their little morsel of food that felt so satisfying at, in that instance, but now they're trapped. And so what I see here very clearly is that offence is a trap. And here the Bible says, because it says many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. The Bible says that this trap of offence leads to betrayal and to hatred of one another. Now the church is not supposed to be walking in offence, it's not supposed to be walking in hatred and it's not supposed to be walking in betrayal. These are things that we must be not just aware of but wary of. Verse 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold but he who endures to the end shall shall be saved. We are given hope that if we have endurance, we will be saved. And I was reading this passage of scripture and it's been preached countless times over more than 2,000 years now. People have preached out of this. And there have been many, many plagues and pestilences in the 2,000 years or so since Jesus spoke these words. There have been wars. There have been rumours of wars. There have been false prophets. There have been earthquakes. At the moment, we are in a worldwide pandemic. World systems are falling, which I've spoken about in the past. The certainties that we took for granted only a few years ago are certain no more. There was a certain world order that we had come to rely on. In particular, I think about the position of the United States as uh, the defender of the West. And all of a sudden, it would appear that America can no longer be counted on like it once could be. And so there's uncertainty where there was certainty before. And what I see that is that In our day, there is an acceleration of all these things. You've only got to look at footage on the news of things like New York subways being flooded and basements just kind of being cascading in water, people breaking windows to get out of their homes in the middle of New York City as a result of a huge hurricane that's hit America. The, the, uh, the flooding in Europe, there's the bushfires that we had in Australia last year. Things are changing and we are now in very uncertain times. But the, uh, the main signifier, I would suggest to you, of where we are in the end times can be found in verse 14 because verse 14 of Matthew 24 is the key to understanding where we are in the biblical timeline because verse 14 says this, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. There is something in this verse that we need to heed. All the nations will have heard the witness, the challenge and the promises of the gospel, then the end will come. The end cannot come until the gospel has been preached to every nation. And nation here, the word is ethnos, which means tribe, tongue 
people group. Don't just think that because the Bible, uh, the gospel has been preached in Iceland and in Mexico and in Europe and in Australia, that that means that the whole world is being covered. There is actually uh, a tribe up in the highlands of Papua New Guinea whose first contact with man was in 2004. I remember on a mission trip to Papua New Guinea um, a few years ago, we met somebody in the airport in Papua New Guinea who was over the moon because they had just finished translating the Bible into the tongue of this particular tribe out in the back of nowhere in the highlands of Papua New Guinea who thought that planes, up until 2004, they thought that planes were giant birds flying over where they were. There are ethnic groups, um, tribes and tongues still on the face of the earth that have not heard the gospel. The end cannot come until the gospel is preached to them. And so that's why in the last few years God has raised up even people who are under great persecution themselves have laid down their lives for the gospel. And I think particularly of the Chinese church and the, and the uh, Back to Jerusalem movement birthed in the Chinese church that even in the midst of persecution they say we are going to lay our lives down for the gospel and they launch something called the Back to Jerusalem movement and their aim is to reach every Buddhist, Hindu and Muslim group between the nation of China and Jerusalem. So they want to go all the way across all that land between China and Jerusalem and preach the gospel. There are Chinese missionaries today in Iran. They had to learn the tongue under persecution in their own country. They've had to learn uh, how to speak Farsi. They've had to learn how to speak Arabic. They've had to learn how to speak those tongues. They've laid down their lives to make sure that the gospel is preached. When the gospel has been fully preached to every um, ethnic group on the face of the earth, then the end can come and we are not there yet. And then Jesus goes on in Matthew 24 to talk about the great tribulation, false prophets, uh, false Christs. Then he talks about the second uh, coming. And finally he says in verse uh, 44 of Matthew 24, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now I know I've skipped over the great tribulation. I've skipped over a whole bunch of stuff in Matthew 24 because I want to get to the main points that I believe the Lord wants us to receive in our hearts today. Because this is where it is, 20, Matthew 24, 44. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And something that's been um, really been hitting my heart for the last couple of weeks is that Jesus did not ask us to prepare for the mark of the beast. Jesus asked us to prepare for his second coming. Jesus asked us to prepare for his return. He tells us to be ready and he tells us to endure to the end. No man knows the full time frame of these things. You can have a whole bunch of different uh, biblically backed positions on end times. You can be pre-trib, you can be mid-trib, you can be post-trib. Some people are even no-trib. <laughs> I don't know that that one can be biblically backed, but pre, mid and, and uh, <laughs> post can certainly find scriptural support. 
That's not our concern. Our concern is, are we ready for Christ's return and how are we preparing and what is it that we must do? How must we be positioned so that we are ready no matter what comes next? Because we are in uncertain times. It is uncertain what's going to happen across the face of the earth out of this pandemic. We don't know which nations are going to fall as a result. We don't know what nations are going to go to war with each other to take advantage of disease and things like this. And we have no control over these things, but we do have control over our positioning. And so my message today is around the question, what must I do to be sure that I'm ready? And I just want to give you two answers because I believe Everything else stems from this. So answer one, you must have the oil. And in fact, it is the oil, and I'm talking about the anointing now, it is the oil that transforms everything into a world of possibilities instead of a world full of foreboding about the future. And nothing that Jesus said or its position in the Bible is by accident because he comes out of talking about this end time scenario, the great tribulation and the second coming. He comes out directly into Matthew 25. And in Matthew 25, in verses 1 to 12, he gives us the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. In verse 1 it says, starting at verse 1, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now to get a proper handle upon what's going on here, we need to understand that it was the Jewish marriage custom for the groom and his friends to leave his home and proceed to the home of the bride where the marriage ceremony was conducted often at night. And after this, the entire wedding party returned to the groom's home for a celebratory banquet. Anybody thinking now the marriage feast of the lamb? And this is why they needed lamps so they could see where they were going. And so Jesus is referring prophetically here to the marriage supper of the Lamb to which we are all invited. In Revelation 19, 7 through 9, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints." The righteous acts of the saints come from our position in Christ, which is we have been made righteous by his gift of righteousness. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But back in Matthew 25, Jesus is giving us, giving us a warning about not being prepared for that distance that we have to walk from being married to Christ into the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So five of the virgins thought that they had enough oil just in their lamps. And keep in the back of your mind the idea that the groom was delayed, okay? 
So the next thing that I discovered was that the image that I carried in my mind of this particular scenario, these ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom, the image that I used to have of this was of these, you know, pretty ladies in long flowing white dresses with those cute little lamps that you see that wouldn't look out of place in an Aladdin cartoon. <laughs> you know, those little lamps. <laughs> but these were not, it wasn't like that. That's not the reality. And that's not how Jesus' followers received this parable because they had experienced the reality of the Jewish wedding customs. These were not dainty little lamps. These were actually more like flaming torches. And when I looked at my Bible study notes in the uh, ESV, it describes these lamps as large dome-shaped torches fueled by rags soaked in oil and used for walking outside. These weren't some cute little thing you put on your bedside table. And with extra containers of oil, the torches could last for several hours. Now, when these, uh, when these virgins were expected to have not just these lamps, these flaming torches, but these vessels of oil, when I looked at the uh, Greek for the vessels, it says agion. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Anna, if you're watching this morning, you can send me a correction, our Greek friend from our church. The word agion, if that's how you pronounce it, actually means pale. So now I've got an image of somebody who's waiting for the bridegroom to turn up so I can walk with him to the marriage banquet and I have a flaming torch and I have a bucket of oil. This is not dainty. This is not delicate. I'm sure the, 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 the virgins in this particular parable are beautifully dressed, but they're carrying buckets of oil and flaming torches. And they didn't know exactly when the bridegroom return would return, so they needed to be ready. Some were and some weren't. Verse 5, while the bridegroom was delayed, remember this delay, for a, keep that in your, in your heart. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold! The bridegroom is coming, go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now, rather than taking a hardline theological position on what happened to the five virgins who were not prepared, let me just ask you this question. What is the line of delineation here between those who were ready and those who were not? Those who were ready had the oil. Those who were not ready did not have the oil. This is as clear a warning as you will find about the second coming of Christ. We must have the oil. 
because the oil is used to light the way to the wedding feast. The oil is the anointing that lights us up from inside and allows us to see where we're going and allows us to, uh, to follow Jesus to where he wants us to be. And I want to tell you that the oil will cost you something. The oil of the anointing will cost you something. It is freely offered. You can't buy it with money, but it will cost you something of your time, of your focus. And the oil can only be found in one place, in the presence of the Lord. One of the reasons why it's so difficult to navigate through a period of lockdown for a body of believers is that we are limited in being able to gather. I can't have the church uh, gathered together in this sanctuary or worshipping God together and experiencing that beautiful corporate anointing. But we've discovered over the last 18 months or so that when there has been lockdown, that God does amazing things even over the live stream. But just because we can't gather physically together in the building doesn't mean you don't have access to the oil because the presence of the Lord comes whenever I read the word. The presence of the Lord comes whenever I pray. The presence of the Lord comes when I worship, when I soak in the spirit. The anointing is available to me. It comes and fills me up. I must have enough oil for my immediate needs, but Jesus is asking us to go beyond what our immediate need might be. I must also have enough oil to cast light on my surroundings and see my way forward. You know, if, I'm, if my lamp, my flaming torch is burning low and I've got hardly any oil, I've taken a few steps out in faith and I can just see this little pool of light around me, but I've got no idea what's a few steps ahead. But when my oil is full in my lamp, my flaming torch is trimmed so that the light is burning furiously bright. When I have my pail of oil, when I take my step of faith forward, it doesn't matter that I'm not sure exactly where I'm going because I know that should the light start becoming a little bit dimmer, I get that pail of oil, I trim the lamp again, I put some more oil in there, the light is expanded again and I can see a little further forward. We're not supposed to see the end from the beginning because God already knows the end from the beginning. He just asks us to follow and he asks us to have enough oil so that we can light our way by faith. Without the oil, you will not have enough light to find your way. You'll be flailing around in darkness. I see so many people flailing around in darkness at the moment because all of a sudden as adversity has hit us all. And I see people walking in fear and confusion. I see people being drawn away by really, really strange understandings of Scripture. I see people heaping condemnation on other people saying, if you get vaccinated, you, you are out of the will of God. You are actually taking the mark of the beast. This is all a precursor of the mark of the beast. And, I, I, and my heart is saying, 
Jesus, you didn't ask us to prepare for the mark of the beast. You asked us to prepare for your second coming. And my question is, am I prepared? Are you prepared? You that are keeping condemnation on others, are you prepared for the second coming of Christ yourself? And if you are, why are you heaping condemnation on your brothers and sisters? See, we are already the bride. And we are destined for the marriage supper of the Lamb. But we are not here to wait passively until everything is done for us. In this parable, Jesus leads us to the marriage feast, but we're expected to have the torchlight so that we can follow him to where he's taking us. And the other thing that's, so that's point one. We must have the oil. We get the oil in the presence of the Lord, reading the word, praying, worshipping, soaking in the spirit. The anointing comes, fills me up. I've got a bucket full of oil so that when I come into an unexpected circumstance, I just dump some more oil in the torch and I go, Lord, it doesn't matter. You, You are leading me. You are guiding me. But the second thing that strikes me about, I mean, that there are so many paths you can go down out of this particular parable of the, the ten virgins, but the second thing that just stuck out, stood out to me like a sore thumb that I'd never seen before, the question came up in my heart because Jesus says in the parable that the bridegroom is delayed. And I think... Why is he delayed? He's talking about, he's obviously talking prophetically of himself. Why is he delayed? Who can stop the Lord? (laughs) Who can stop the Lord Almighty, right? Why is he delayed? Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. If the church had actually been doing for the last 2,000 years what we were instructed to do, we'd already be there. Is that right? Let me remind you that the disciples of Jesus' day, as they studied the word, the Old Testament, and all the prophecies appointed to him, and when they thought about this parable, uh, they were there in an expectation that his return was imminent. You actually see it, um, you see Paul talking about it, about those guys that went out to change the world, they did so in the expectation that there was an urgency to their hour. If there was an urgency then, my goodness, where are we now? And so he asks this question, why is he delayed? Well, because... The gospel has not yet reached every people group. And in a sense, we should rejoice because there's going to be a lot more people in heaven than there would have been if he'd come a thousand years ago. Is that right? But I felt the Lord minister something to me as I saw this, that Jesus can't come back until what he spoke here is made complete. I just felt the Lord whisper to me this. The gospel does not preach itself. 
Our tech team's very quiet, so I assume everyone's gone quiet on live stream as well. The gospel does not preach itself. I saw this really stupid meme uh, on Facebook or somewhere some months ago. I've seen it go around a number of times where they say something like, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Well, that's totally not biblical because the gospel is the good news and the good news must be spoken. If your life backs up what you preach, that's awesome, man, but you've got to preach as well as live. Where do I find that in the Word of God? Romans 10, 13 to 15. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then Paul's up, Paul asks you and I this question. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The gospel is that Jesus is not necessarily asking you to leave the live stream today and go down on to the corner of your street with a big sign saying, Jesus is coming soon, ask me what I must do. Although that's probably a pretty good idea. <laughs> but what Jesus is asking us to do is to actually have influence in our sphere of influence. The church is are remarkably silent within our spheres of influence. You would be amazed at the opportunities that will come your way if you put yourself out there in, in the sense of saying to the Lord, Lord, give me an opportunity, even in a lockdown. My wife, the other day, we had somebody come and uh, mow our lawn, and um, which she was allowed to do. Don't get all funny with me. She was allowed to do because the person mowing the lawn was like, lives in our LGA within five kilometres, all that sort of stuff. And uh, Anyway, so uh, my wife noticed something about this particular person that was mowing the lawn and said, well, uh, they, could be, they could be watching this morning. So if you're watching this morning, um, Jackie, I just want to bless you. I just want you to know that you're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb that I've been preaching about this morning. And... There is something that God wants to do in your heart. He, he wants to take the pain that comes from your sense of abandonment in this world. He wants to take the tumours from your body and he wants to heal you. And my wife and I are praying for you that you might be healed, but more than that, that you might come into the kingdom of heaven and you can do that right now. In fact, anybody who's watching on live stream right now, if you're hearing this, if you're hearing this for the first time, this is the gospel. You don't have to go through this life um, in a place of hopelessness, in a place of fear, in a place of confusion about your future because Jesus has invited you into a glorious relationship that lasts throughout all eternity. And all you've got to do is say yes to him and recognise the fact that you are just like everybody else on this planet. You are a sinner. You've done the wrong thing. Nobody who lives in reality, in, in reality with themselves could deny that we all do the wrong thing. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he laid down his life to pay the price for every wrong thing you and I did so that we could have relationship with him. And then he comes and takes us by the hand. He leads us through the rest of our circumstances, the rest of our life. And when we pass from this life, we pass into a glorious eternity with him in heaven with all our brothers and sisters who made the same decision to follow Jesus. 
If you have not made that decision yet before today, I'm going to invite you to do it right now. All you've got to do is recognize in your heart that you are a sinner. Recognize that God raised Jesus from the grave, that he wasn't stuck in the grave after he was crucified. Believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. I confess that Jesus is Lord by saying something like this, and I invite you to say this with me. Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And that I need your salvation. Today I come to the foot of the cross. You see that beautiful cross we have up in our church? That represents the place where Jesus died for my sin. Jesus, I recognize, I recognize in my spirit, man, that you actually did this for me. And so I take my burden of sin and I lay it at your feet today. And I feel that burden come off my shoulders now. And I say to you, Jesus, come into my heart and lead me into my eternity. And, you know, if you just prayed that, if you just prayed that from your heart, your eternity is now assured. You don't have to walk in fear or confusion or shame or ridicule or, or guilt or any of the things that have plagued you all your life. You are now safe in the hands of your Father God and he will take you into all eternity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, the gospel does not preach itself. People won't know what Jesus did for them if they're not told about it. And then, I just feel a sense in my spirit that there are times, you know, Jesus makes intercession for us. When he's seated there next to the Father now, and sometimes he travails over us. He travails over our lack of oil and he travails over our lack of willingness to fulfill the Great Commission. In Matthew 9, 37 to 38, it says that Jesus said to his disciples, A harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I've preached this before, that the word for send out is actually ekbalo in the Greek. It means to thrust forth into the harvest. If it was true when he preached it then, how much more true is it today? You may not necessarily be asked to go preach on street corners or knock on your neighbour's doors or do some of the things that are traditionally regarded as evangelism, but, you know, your life is a testimony of Jesus and your life must be accompanied by the words of the gospel so that people know why you are who you are. And so we've got these two things in play when we look at Matthew 24 and 25. The first one is that God desires each one of us to have the anointing, to have the oil, that it's our choice how, how prepared we are, how much oil we have. 
when we spend time in his presence, that, that, uh, that we are filled to overflowing. And secondly, that the gospel must be preached before the end can come. And the gospel is preached by God's people. The gospel is not just preached by your neighbour. The gospel is not just preached by somebody appointed to be an evangelist. The gospel is preached by everybody who names Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And the reason that... uh, The reason I'm preaching out of Matthew 24 and 25 this morning is off the back of a prophetic experience that I had beginning last Saturday night. And uh, the reason why this was such a profound experience for me was because uh, on Saturday night, um, on Sunday night and on Monday night, I had three separate dreams and it wasn't until... uh, I woke up from the third dream that I understood that the dreams were actually chronological and that they represented something um, in the spirit that I believe we all need to get hold of. And even though I want to share something about this, even though uh, I dreamt in the first person, I dreamt in the first person representative of those of you who hear this message, who name Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. So even though in the dream it's me in the dream, I want you to listen to this and it's you in the dream. And so uh, this was a chronological theme and I believe it speaks into uh, the beginning of last year, coming through to the present time and going into the future. So the first, uh, okay, so in the, in the first stream, this is last Saturday night. And the other thing I wanted to, to say before I talk about what was, what was in the dream, in each of these three dreams, I felt like for the entirety of my sleep, from the, from the moment that, I, that, that my eyes closed and I went into sleep, I dreamt and I dreamt and I dreamt until I woke up. It felt like the dream, it wasn't like a, a little dream that lasted for a few seconds. It felt like it occupied my entire sleeping time for three nights in a row. So the first one was last Saturday night, and in the dream I was running, and I was running really, really hard, and there were people after me, and they wanted to kill me. They wanted to stop me and kill me. And all night I dreamt this. I was running, running, running. And I was in some sort of maze of buildings and I would run into a building to get away from these people. And uh, then uh, they would trap me in a room. I would fight my way out and then I'd run again and run again. And they were relentless. They kept finding me and cornering me. But each time I got away, I got away, I got away. And it was, uh, it was really more like... Uh, more like a nightmare than a dream, obviously. And I woke up with that kind of tiredness that you might feel from dreaming all night when the dreams are really disturbing. And so I I want you to understand that I didn't understand that this was actually a prophetic experience that I was in yet because I've had, I think everybody's probably had a dream of running at some time or another. But it wasn't until I got to the end of the, the, the sequence of dreams that I understood the prophetic nature of it. 
Because the second night, uh, it was started out with more of the same, in the sense that um, as soon as my, it felt like as soon as my eyes closed and I went to sleep, this dream started up. But in this particular dream, the surroundings were more familiar and uh, there was an aspect of it that, uh, that was entirely different. And the aspect was this. I found myself um, actually on Victoria Road out near the ride area in, uh, around Ermington. And I believe that the Lord positioned me in that location just to indicate to me that my dream was centred around a particular location, around Sydney. I don't think Ermington was particularly significant, um, but just he wanted me to know that it was taking place in a particular place. The theme was the same. There were these people after me and I was running from them, but in this dream I had the realisation that I had supernatural strength and I had supernatural stamina and that there was nothing they could do to hurt me and that if I was outnumbered I could outrun them and that if I needed to and I had to fight I would have the amazing strength and the speed to do so whereas in the first dream I was often cornered and only just got away in this dream every time my pursuers got close enough to threaten me I could just take off with supernatural speed and so I woke up from that dream on the, uh, on the Monday morning and I was starting to get an inkling because these dreams consumed all my sleeping hours, I understood that there was something prophetic that God wanted to teach me. Um, but it was only after uh, the third dream, which was on the Monday night, that I began, began to understand what God is saying to us. As in the third dream... Um, it was like the details began to get coloured in. And in this dream, I was in a group of people, quite a large group of people, in Hyde Park in the middle of Sydney. And uh, I don't necessarily think that Hyde Park is the actual location for this, um, but I believe that the fact that it was in Sydney was very significant. And we had arranged an outreach event in the heart of Sydney. In other words, we had purposed... Let's forget about the the idea that it was an event for a a moment and just uh, recognise that all of us there had set our hearts on outreach. And beyond all expectations, crowds in their tens of thousands had shown up. And now my supernatural running had a particular focus because I knew that I had to get to a particular balcony overlooking Pitt Street so that I could preach the gospel to this massive crowd. I knew it was getting late and so I was running towards the heart of Pitt Street. And as I ran, I could hear the people in the crowd saying one after the one after the other about how much they wanted to hear what these people have to say. And then my dream took an unusual turn in, turn in that I found that 
Um, even though I knew I had to get to a particular balcony overlooking this crowd. And if you've ever been in Pitt Street in, in Sydney, it's one of the main thoroughfares through Sydney and it's a long, long straight road. And I could see along that road that it was actually, it was uh, completely jam-packed for as far as the eye could see, tens and tens of thousands of people. And then uh, the dream took an unusual turn because all of a sudden... I found Pastor Miles Witherford was there with me. Pastor Miles, I know you're probably watching this morning. You were in my dream. And Pastor Miles' purpose was, was he was there to help me to find the building with the right balcony, to find the right place. And so we went running into a hotel and Miles spoke to the concierge there and asked him, where is the room with the balcony and how much is it going to cost him for the room? And the concierge looked at me and said, $1.50. <laughs> and I remember being shocked at how cheap it was to get this room with the balcony. I paid him the money and we went dashing into the heart of the hotel, still looking for the room. Outside, the hour was getting late and the crowd was beginning to get restless, but they wanted to hear the message. I had to get to the balcony so I could share Jesus with this crowd. And then I woke up and there was urgency and purpose in this last dream to the degree that I got up and I wrote it all down as I've just been sharing it with you. And then... Uh, as I sat in, after this third dream, as I sat in the middle of the night writing down the series of dreams, I heard the Lord speak to me and say, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. I knew this was a prophetic scripture. I looked it up. It's in Joel chapter 3, verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And the previous verse says this, Joel 3.13, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe, go, uh, come and go down for the winepress is full, the vats overflow for their wickedness is great. And these two verses in Joel are a picture of the judgment of God upon the earth in the day of the Lord. And this might seem like an unusual scripture for God to take me to in this context, except that as you get an understanding of the whole book of Joel, Joel, these multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, their destiny is not assured by what's going on here. Because the key to hope in this scripture, with the impending day of judgment of the Lord, because all of Joel is about the coming of the day of the Lord, and though it is aimed Firstly, when Joel wrote it at the nation of Israel, it of course has an end times meaning. And uh, what I take from this is that there was one escape from God's judgment and one only. God's covenant love released in response to the repentance of the people. And so I see that God is alerting us in this season to the fact that there are multitudes out there now with the day of the Lord drawing ever nearer and nearer and nearer. There are multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. How can they make a decision if they don't know what it is they're making a choice about? 
And so I began to ask the Lord about some aspects of this dream. And here's what I felt the Lord was showing me. Um, can I ask you, Sarah, just by yourself to come up and play quietly um, while I speak about this? I thought about uh, the recent past because I realised that um, the first night where I was dreaming, where um, I was running and there was fear involved and I was fighting, fighting my way out of situations and um, uh, there was so much uncertainty in the situation, I felt like the Lord was showing me that was us last year. I remember when the pandemic broke across Australia, across the world, I remember preaching week after week about faith, not fear, faith, not fear, faith, not fear, because I could feel fear coming upon God's people. And then uh, when I thought about the second dream and I saw that these same people were trying to stop, stop me, stop us, stop you, I saw that God has been doing something in our hearts over this past year and a half of of uh, this period of uncertainty. I, and I want to just declare over you that you are more prepared for the battle that you're in at the moment than you were 12 months ago. And that you are actually carrying the capacity within you to fight your battle victoriously because God has been building you and strengthening you even though the enemy has been trying to break you down. But if you want to be able to see your way forward, you're going to need that oil, right? And then when I saw in that third dream the multitudes in our city who in the dream were actually saying to each other, I want to hear what these people have to say. Do you understand that the pandemic, that the economic chaos that we see around us, the social disintegration, all of these things that the enemy has meant for the destruction of people is actually leading them into the valley of decision where we can preach the Word of God to them and expect a response that we wouldn't have got a year ago. Two weeks ago, I preached that the Lord had spoken to me and said, I'm bringing you out into rich fulfilment. I want to tell you that we are coming out of this lockdown into rich fulfilment if we are prepared to carry those extra pails of oil, if we are prepared to be living torches, following the bridegroom into destiny. I also saw, I wondered why, why Pastor Miles? Why was Pastor Miles in my dream? Why was he leading me to that particular concierge in that particular hotel? It's because God is saying that what he is birthing in the church in this season is multi-generational. Because Pastor Miles belongs to the generation before me. I need the wisdom of the previous generation. Sarah's generation needs our wisdom. We need the hard attitudes of all generations to come together in this season so that we are all in one way or another supporting each other as we fulfil the Great Commission. Then I thought about the aspect of uh, the concierge telling me how much the room was going to cost, $1.50. And I felt the Lord say to me this morning, our mission 
is not dependent upon expensive platforms or programs. We don't, need, we don't need to be doing evangelistic campaigns with a hundred voice choir and a big band and renting out stadia. <laughs> Some will do that. But the success of what we are called to is something that God has already destined us for. And thirdly, the theme that ran through all three dreams was the hour is now urgent. We are coming out into a time of rich fulfilment. We are coming out into a time where there will be a window of opportunity where people's hearts will be open to hear the gospel such as we have not seen for generations in this country. And I believe that even now, God is birthing new creative expressions of how the gospel is given to people. God's given me a couple of ideas about what I can do personally. God is birthing ideas in our church leadership about how we come out of this and how we disciple people that come in. God is going to give you your own personal perspective of what your responsibility is within your sphere of influence to actually influence the sphere of influence instead of just sitting in it and waiting to be raptured. I don't believe anybody that I know who's a Christian is just sitting around waiting to be raptured. But I believe that now there needs to be an urgency in our hearts to obey two things that God is asking us to do. Number one, get anointed. Get the oil. You're going to need the oil. And two, let's be true to the song that we've sung so many times. Where you go, I'll go. What you say, I'll say. What you pray, I'll pray. God is opening a window of opportunity for us that we are to prepare for now. When lockdown ends, when we can gather in this church, the meeting together in this church is not going to be our sole focus. And in fact, when we semi-came out of lockdown a few months ago, we started birthing uh, new ideas for how we were going to reach out and things. And now God has given us um, not just a window of opportunity in the future that He's going to open up for us to preach. Our window of opportunity is now to prepare for when lockdown ends and we can have uh, that voice reaching multitudes in the Valley of Decision. So this morning, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you and I want to prophesy over you that what, uh, what the Lord has been showing me prophetically in these dreams is actually going to be your portion. And so I want to begin by declaring this over you firstly, that you no longer walk in fear that the spirit of fear no longer has any influence over any of your decision-making processes, that I declare over you that the spirit of fear shall not come against you in the middle of the night. I declare in the name of Jesus that you will not catastrophize about your situation. 
You will not be wondering, what if this happens? What if that happens? Oh, what if this comes against you? What if that comes? What if I go broke? All those things. I declare over you that the spirit of fear's influence in your thought processes, in your emotions is done in the name of Jesus. I declare over you that God has given you a spirit of power. He's given you a spirit of love. He's given you the spirit of a sound mind. And a sound mind does not walk in fear. The mind of Christ is not troubled in troubled times. The mind of Christ is not troubled in troubled times. You shall not be troubled. You shall be unshakable. I declare over you, you shall be unshakable. You will not make one step backwards, but your steps will be forward into everything that God has purposed for you. Secondly, I declare over you that whereas in the past you felt like you were stopped in one position, almost stuck in mud, I see a picture of people feeling like they're stuck in quicksand. I declare over you, you stand on the firm foundation of the Word of God and of your salvation and the blood of Jesus has already spoken your freedom and you are walking out of that place now forward into what God has for you. I declare over you supernatural strength. I declare over you supernatural courage. I declare over you supernatural speed so that God can accelerate you into the things that He birthed in your heart even decades ago that you have not yet seen the full, seen the full fruition of. Thirdly, I declare over you that you will have the opportunities to preach the Gospel and that it's not just an opportunity, but this will be an opportunity that you relish, that you embrace and that you regard as your responsibility. That the discouragements of the past when you have shared and people have ridiculed you or rejected you, that you lay all that aside and you understand that part of being a follower of Christ is to be crucified with Him. And that it doesn't matter whether people reject or accept what you have to say, that that doesn't matter as much as your obedience to what God has asked you to do, what God is asking all of us to do. I declare over you, fourthly, that you will have creative ideas that you never had before. If you are a musician, your musicianship is about to explode out into, into various directions. If you are a worship leader and a songwriter and a lyricist, you are going to get creative expressions of that, that anointing upon you such as you have never had before. If you're a singer, you're going to have a great arrangement you ever had before. If you wanted to be a singer and you were a bit off key, God's fixing it. If you have been called to preach the gospel, the opportunities, the doors are going to open for you that have been closed, slammed in your face time and time and time again. God says to you today, the hour is now. You are about to be ekbaloed out into the harvest. All you have to do is be faithful to what I'm saying. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, that we have ignored the multitudes in the valley of decision in the past. Forgive us, Lord, for being so concerned about our own comforts. Help us, Lord, to get our focus right. Help us, Lord, to soak in that oil of the anointing so that we have your perspective and not just our own. Thank you, Father, 
that you are releasing us out of this bondage of lockdowns. That, Father God, that this pandemic holds no fears for us because we fear only the one who created us. Because if we fear you, all other fears have to fall to the ground in Jesus' name. Church, as the worship team comes back up to close our service, I want to encourage you in this. Stop listening to the voice of the enemy and start listening to the voice of the Lord. As you spend time in God's presence, receiving the oil of His anointing, let His presence so permeate you that you are fully equipped, as the Word of God promises, for every good work. Every good work. I believe that people are going to walk in uh, the power of signs, wonders and miracles, and it's actually going to occur against your expectation. You're going to pray for people. I can see, I see a picture in my heart right now of people praying for people to be healed of something really serious. And there's not actually the expectation in your heart that it's going to happen. And God does it anyway. And out of that incredible experience, you're going to understand that God's waiting for you to release with your lips what He wants to do in the kingdom. And the kingdom is going to be manifested through you. Church, I want to bless you with the love of the Lord this morning as we close our service. I want to bless the fathers. Uh, Fathers, um, I want to remind you, you have a responsibility. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. For those of you you fathers, families with young children, get them into a place where they're going to be equipped regularly. If, you, if, you, if your kids are no longer used to coming to church, you're going to have to persuade them that church is the right place to be. Uh, look for the opportunities because our church will be providing opportunities for training, for equipping, for evangelizing, for sharing faith. Um, so thank you, Lord, for what you've done this morning. Thank you, Father God, that you are awakening your bride to... Uh, the incredible opportunity and responsibility that we have. I pray, Father God, that every single person that has watched our live stream this morning or even those who watch it in the future will be imparted to in a particular way. So I just invite you in closing, just put your hands out to receive from the Lord this morning. And by faith, Heavenly Father, I just release the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon those who are hungry, Lord, for more of you. I pray, Father God, that there would be an impartation of the oil of the Holy Spirit right now, Lord. I thank you, Father God, that I can see uh, in the Spirit. I can see those torches being uh, reignited. I can see those torches springing up into flame. I can see those paths in front of you being lit up so you know where to go. I can see pails coming up. I can see the level of the oil in your bucket coming up, coming up, coming up until it overflows, overflows, overflows. I speak an overflow of the anointing over you today. As you walk into difficult and impossible scenarios, the anointing of 
The anointing oil of the Holy Spirit is yours to overflowing to equip you for every good work that He has called you to. I bless you with the anointing this morning. I bless you in the purpose to which God has called you. I bless you with the destiny that God has called you. I bless you with provision for whatever you might need. I thank you, Father God, that the gospel is freely given. It costs us something to speak it out, to preach it. But Father God, we are prepared to pay the price. Bless you, church, in the name of Jesus this morning. Let's close with worship.